its Innovation Station initiative, the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues at the U.S. Department of State is amplifying women and girls developing solutions to global challenges and helping them connect with new communities that could benefit from their work. Today, you'll meet a few of those innovators as they explain their game-changing, translatable initiatives in their own words. Welcome to SGWE's Innovation Station. Stormwater runoff is the most rapidly increasing source of pollution into the Chesapeake Bay. Nearly 1.9 million acres of land in the Chesapeake Bay watershed are impervious, which contributes to excess runoff. This has numerous harmful outcomes, such as stream bank erosion, oxygen-depleted dead zones, sediment buildup, and chemical contamination. Implementation of green infrastructure, such as rain barrels, green roofs, permeable surfaces, forest buffers, and of course, restored wetlands, can address problems like these in the Chesapeake Bay region and beyond. Now, in addition to tackling stormwater runoff, green infrastructure can mitigate other environmental challenges like poor air quality, heat stress, biodiversity loss, and more. But public skepticism, perceptions of higher costs and complicated maintenance, and additional technical, physical, and institutional barriers can prevent communities from reaping green infrastructure's benefits. Plus, when implementing new infrastructure projects, it's crucial to consider intersections with gender and other identity factors. For example, in many countries, women and girls' relationship with water infrastructure impacts, for instance, their educational and subsequent economic opportunities. As an industry, infrastructure is also a traditionally male-dominated sector. While women employees tend to face barriers to entry, as well as marginalization in their work. But if done well, developments in green infrastructure provide not only economic and social benefits, but they can also reduce exposure to harmful substances, provide recreational opportunities, and enhance community identity. Locations achieving effective implementation of green infrastructure range from Seattle and Portland to Singapore and Stockholm. In this panel discussion, we will learn from two organizations increasing the application of green infrastructure and developing nature-based solutions to environmental and social challenges in their communities. Please join me in welcoming Arian Hall, co-founder of Mastodon, and Amy Cool. Resiliency Programs Manager at World Relief Western Washington, overseeing the Paradise Parking Plots Community Garden. Welcome to both of you. Thank you so much for joining us. And Arian, I'm going to start with you today. Would you please briefly introduce us to your company, Mastodon? Hello, it's such a pleasure to be here. My name is Arian Hall. I'm the co-founder and co-owner of Mastodon LLC. We're a stormwater management and green infrastructure company based here in the New Orleans greater area. Mastodon was formed in 2018 as a response to the lack of skilled installs in the green infrastructure and stormwater management sector in our area. Combined, Louisa Abale, uh, my co-owner and myself, um, started the company. We have over 20 years of combined experience to reference while creating solutions uh, and a vast reservoir of resources to utilize when we encounter issues we're faced with. Sometimes those are unfamiliar. Our work at Mastodon often revolves around a permaculture or nature-based approach to solutions and building. We previously worked with nonprofits in a landscape architecture firm and felt that more could be done in this line of work. So our company specializes in construction processes with a focus on stormwater management, 
low impact development, green building and residential and commercial applications, restoring ur urban ecosystems, and implementation of living systems of all scales. We are licensed Louisiana horticulturalist, NRMCA pervious concrete technician, and a certified green infrastructure practitioner. Our company promotes inclusive inclusivity and prioritizes hiring BIPOC women who are interested in joining the workforce. We're the only female and black owned company of our kind in the area. And since our inception, we have worked alongside several organizations to assist BIPOC and community initiatives. For example, since 2018, we've worked alongside the nonprofit Urban Conservancy with the Hoffman Triangle Projects, which provide funding for low-income homeowners who are experiencing flooding and draining issues on their properties. Um, we listen to the needs in designing a solution for our clients while we educate them and how the systems operate them and walk them through different phases of the project. Our company's value, values empowering our clients. While our projects take into account the feasibility of maintenance, we try to keep it low maintenance. It's exciting to give our clients the ability to engage with a space that wasn't necessarily able to be previously used. Our work creates functionality in unusable spaces and provides new value. That coupled with creating an urban environment for native flora and fauna to thrive that people are excited about is how we create an impact one space at a time. Thank you so much, Arian. More to come, more questions for you in just a moment. Uh, but for now, I must turn to Amy, last but certainly not least. Thank you so much for joining us as well. Um, could you preview for us the Paradise Parking Plots Community Garden Project? Yeah, I would love to. And first, thank you so much for inviting me to this conversation. I truly believe that it's through community that we'll all make strides in environmental restoration and just building spaces where people of all backgrounds can thrive. So um, a little bit more about World Relief Western Washington and the Paradise Plot Parking, um, Paradise Gardens, yeah. So I, um, I manage the um, resiliency programs for a refugee resettlement agency. And I'm gonna start there just to give you a little bit of context um, before I go on. So um, World Relief, like I said, is a refugee resettlement agency um, or services organization known as a VOLAG or a voluntary agency. Um, we are one of nine VOLAGs that works directly with the federal government's Bureau for Population, Refugees, and Migration to resettle refugees. We're the largest resettlement agency in Western Washington, receiving refugees that are coming into the United States. So I also work alongside the community. Um, as a whole, that's what we do to welcome refugees um, and create a sense of being welcomed by the community, rooted in the community, and empowered for community. That's very much what we're about. Um, a refugee is someone, just for context, who has crossed an international border um, due to forced displacement. And we work with both refugees and the broader immigrant community, but all people who have been displaced um, due to war, crisis, natural disaster, and persecution. Um, and the piece about connecting them into community and creating healthy and thriving spaces for these people to um, rebuild in, that's where this community garden comes in. So um, the place where we are physically located is South King County. Um, it's just south of Seattle, and it is a food desert. And a food desert is just an urban area that's 
difficult to buy affordable food. It's hard to find good quality fresh food. It's the bottom line. So it's really important to World Relief to listen to the community, to hear what are the needs and how can we help meet them. So during a community listening session in 2016, we learned that there was an overwhelming need for improved food access, greater availability of culturally relevant foods, and just land access in general. A lot of refugees were being um, resettled into apartment buildings, again, in this food desert. They missed things that they were used to eating and growing back home. Um, so as a response in 2017, we began developing um, a community garden which was previously an underutilized church parking lot. We depaved it. Um, there is now 44 garden plots, the size about the size of a parking space. Um, there are also six handicap accessible beds and incorporated throughout this garden, which is really beautiful. I wish I had a picture to show you, but um, incorporated into all of this is green infrastructure. So I can, I'll get into that a little bit later, but a lot of really creative ways to um, restore the natural environment and help raise awareness about how um, this community can care for the environment around them. Thank you so much, Amy. All right, let's dive into questions. I have so many for both of you, so we're going to see how many we can get through in the remaining time that we have. Um, Ariane, I'm going to start with you. Um, for context purposes, can you explain how green infrastructure differs from some of the historically common methods of water management that have been employed throughout New Orleans? Because I suspect this is this is pretty different. Yes, most definitely, and it's a fun topic to talk about. So, um, gray infrastructure versus green infrastructure, right? Um, New Orleans is one of those places that is really interesting to talk about because um, we have pumping systems here and we're below sea level. So um, the, the traditional way that we've kind of done things down here is that we just pump the water out. We try to get it out as fast as humanly possible, right? Um, and that's kind of led to our the, the situation that we're currently in where we've subsided uh, about two feet since the, the 1950s. Um, and it's actually kind of put us in a in a spot where 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 we've pumped the water out. We've left our hydrophilic, our clay soil. Um, it's if you kind of think about the the condition of the soil, you can think of it like a dried out sponge, where we've laid all of these pervious impervious surfaces and don't allow the soil to recharge itself. Um, and so that's kind of the condition that we're in now. Whereas when we implement systems like green infrastructure and allow the water table to recharge and um, allow that hydrophilic soil to um, to the, the water table to recharge, it will actually reinvigorate it. Um, so essentially, water management has not been employed historically in New Orleans. We just rely on the, those, uh, the screw pump system that we have um, and the man-made catch basins, pipes, pumps, um, and the fastest route to get the water out of our out of our residential commercial properties. Essentially, we pump the water 15 feet up <clears throat> into these large culverts out to Lake Pontchartrain. Um, New Orleans is a little bit different than some cities, though, because some places have a combined sewer system. We have a separate sewer system, which is a benefit to us because uh, we don't have to treat all of the water that goes to Lake Pontchartrain. Um, but again, 
green infrastructure greatly reduces that that stress that we put on our pumping system down here. Um, so commercial cold right now is to hold the first inch and a quarter of rain. Um, but I mean, you know, it's it's hard to implement it. New buildings that are being built, they're implementing those codes, but on residential properties, it's hard to implement it. Um, we try to design and build the systems that we put in place to hold a little bit more than that. We try to do at least like three or four inches. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a hard fight. It's a battle that we're fighting down here. Sure. Well, maybe I can ask a follow-up question. What are some of the, the tools, if you will, in the green infrastructure toolbox? Like how, how can you pick and choose them to match with the needs of a given site? And what do those tools actually look like? What do those installations look like? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the most common one, I think that, that people hear about a lot down here, especially because of the way that homes are built and they're so close on top of one another in, in this urban environment, is the French drain or the, the infiltration trench. So a lot of times in these alleyways, you'll see that um, we'll, dig the, we'll dig a trench, we'll put a perforated pipe. So it's a, a pipe with holes in it that allows for water to infiltrate into the ground. But also once that trench fills up, it will actually convey water depending on, upon how the system is designed. Um, and we fill it, we, uh, we, trench, we line the trench with a geotextile fabric. We fill it with aggregate that can be river stone or it can be limestone. It depends on uh, if you want a little more void space to hold more water. Um, and then it's covered with a material of your choice, depending upon the application. You could cover it with sand and sod if, you're, if it has a yard application, or you could go back with just plain gravel um, or a hardscape on top. Uh, Bioswales and rain gardens, those are great for easements um, I, or curb, curb cuts. Um, it really depends on where you're using them, but they're, they're great for next to a street. Um, they soak up water and filter contaminants. They, the difference between a bioswale and a rain garden is that a bioswale is usually conveying water, so moving water from one place to another. Whereas a rain garden is generally holding that water and infiltrating the water into the ground uh, within 48 to 72 hours down here. That's really important because y'all know it's like the Congo and we get lots and lots of mosquitoes. So we want to make sure that that water is draining within that appropriate time frame so that we're not causing a health hazard. Um, for us as well, we find that pervious concrete and permeable pavers are also a great application in this urban environment, driveways, walkways, pathways. It's a great way to um, utilize space for, um, you know, a subsurface retention because you usually have to excavate, you have to dig beneath um, where those pavers or that pervious concrete is going. You have some uh, additional water storage beneath that. And then you're installing your, your application on top of that, allowing for uh, filtering that first flush of water, which is that first inch of rainfall, which is coming with a lot of those pollutants and contaminants that you find in the rainfall. Gotcha. So, um, you know, permeable pavers and pervious concrete is also another great way, along with bioswales and rain gardens, to filter that water before it's going into the, you know, before it would hit the great infrastructure or go into the pipes and go into the waterways as well. Got it. 
This is this is super interesting because now I want to turn to Amy because you have been able to implement some of these very tools, if we're going to go back to my term from before, um, in the Paradise Parking Plots project. So can you explain, Amy, how this project really does marry green infrastructure implementation with these institutional goals of world relief that you described previously? Sure, yeah. So again, World Relief is a very people-focused organization and environmental issues affect people. Like we are all living in our environments and as a result are affected in different ways. We know that refugees, immigrants, and the BIPOC community are disproportionately affected by climate change and environmental issues. So what we have done is gone into these communities, listened to the needs, and then figured out a way to find solutions to create healthier communities where people can live and thrive. So um, on the practical level, where Hillside is located, where the gardens are located um, is on a hillside. And it was previously paved, a paved service. It didn't allow for permeability. And this along with a spring that flows through um, the lower part of the parking lot it just led to a lot of flooding. And we're in Seattle, there's a lot of rain, there's a lot of stormwater runoff. So what resulted was the neighbors flooding. Um, there is a middle school at the bottom of the hill where many of the people that we work with, their children go to this school and it would flood, the school would close. Um, it impacted everyone in this community. So we were able to implement some of this green infrastructure to start mitigating these issues. Um, so for us, that looked like, practically speaking, removing this impermeable pavement. Um, we have installed five different rain gardens, one's pretty large and then four smaller ones. Um, a bioswale, which, um, yeah, as you heard, is really something that channels stormwater into this like vegetated mulch pond um, and as a result it really it filters that stormwater that then as it goes back into the streams um, it's much cleaner and we also have a water catchment system where a nearby church we take all the water runoff from the roof and we put it in cisterns um, that then can be used to water the water the gardens during the summer when there's less water so overall it's impacting the neighborhood the people that we work with, the school, um, and improving the environment where where a lot of the people we're working with live. So that's that's your short answer of some of the ways that we're addressing that and how it fits in. Thank you so much. And I think you actually answered one of my other questions, which is very efficient, and I love it, about the types of infrastructure you've installed and sort of what they're doing on site. I, I'm really glad that we're able to see here, like a really tangible example um, in, in your case here. Um, Ariane, I wanted to, to turn to you and, and talk a little bit about something that you mentioned in your in your opening or your introduction. Um, I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about how Mastodon has worked with local nonprofit organizations to deliver green infrastructure solutions to families and neighborhoods that have the most urgent need but might otherwise not be able to obtain those needed systems. Yes, definitely. So one of the programs that we work closely with um, is Urban Conservancy. They have a couple different programs that they um, offer. One of them is a subsidized program. It's called the Front Yard Initiative, where they work with homeowners 
they offer a course where they educate the homeowner. First of all, it's a series of, of classes where the homeowner actually has to come up with their own design. And I think that's phenomenal um, because it gets them thinking about, you know, their problem, their pain point, and then the products that they're going to use, the plants they're going to be planting, um, kind of, you know, really putting them in the right brain space. I think it's it's really, really a, a great way to, to think about stormwater management and green infrastructure. Um, and then they have to go and find three contractors, um, get some bids, and uh, once they pick a contractor, then they get the work completed and the then Urban Conservancy comes back and gives them a subsidy, gives them a check to cover a portion of the work. Now that work is based upon removing a portion of impervious surface. So it's based upon square footage of concrete breakup. I can't believe, uh, uh, remember what exactly the compensation rate was. I think it's $1.25 per square foot, but don't quote me on that. Um, I wish there were more programs like it. Uh, another program that they run is actually called the Direct Install Program, where they go to uh, low-income homeowners and they actually completely cover the cost of the install for the homeowner. So they find a homeowner that has a drainage issue whether it's because of um, bad building practices. Um, a lot of times we actually go to communities like where we find churches or schools that have built their foundations up a little bit higher or regraded parking lots towards their foundation or things like that. And um, we'll go in, come up with a building solution, come up with a design, do the install, and the work is completely covered uh, by grant for the homeowner. That's fantastic. It's the accessibility here that I think is really interesting and then the downstream impacts and the benefits of that accessibility, which leads me back to you, Amy. You know, you explained how one of the biggest drivers for this project um, that just so happened to be a great opportunity to implement things like green infrastructure was the need to improve food security in the community in which you're operating. Um, so I was wondering if you could um, talk a little bit about how the Paradise Parking Plots project is actually achieving that goal and addressing the King County community's food security needs. Yeah, that was a huge felt need by the community. This um, lack of available foods at an affordable price. Um, so that was part of it. And that's part of um, the garden is all organic. We don't use any chemicals. So it allows people to grow food. Um, we have a lot of seeds donated. But there's this other cultural piece, right? They were missing the taste of home and they didn't have access to land where they could grow these foods that they used to be so accustomed to. So we have worked alongside farmers from on an average season, there's more than 20 countries represented and farmers, gardeners are allowed to grow whatever they want. And it's been really beautiful just seeing this cultural exchange in this small garden of, you know, you had co have collard greens, you have corn, you have the things that you're used to and you have Kenyans love nightshade. Like there's a lot of just fun things that we get to learn about as we go. Um, and so not only is it a place and an opportunity to grow something that you really feel you want, but it's also a cool opportunity to share culturally in a really beautiful environment that's open to that. 
So increasing the biodiversity, which is really, really exciting. Absolutely. And I love this idea of being able to pair together important topics for communities. In past innovation stations, we've seen, for instance, pairing food security with art. Um, in this case, I love seeing you know, the food security with the green infrastructure. And it feels like you've developed somewhat of a model here. And I'm wondering if you can maybe explain how community projects like yours might provide a model for incentivizing, in this case, green infrastructure deployment throughout communities more broadly. Sure. I Let me start by first saying at this garden space, something that's really important to us is just creating place-based, hands-on opportunities for the community to learn. You can't care about what you don't know about. So through this initiative, we also have a program where we go into the schools for a refugee summer academy, and we teach them about the environment. They come to the garden and they see physically, here's what stormwater is, and here's how we can create better spaces to manage that. Um, there's also workshops for the community. There's a lot going on in this space. We have also um, approached local government. There is um, a stormwater tax, and there's incentivization for if you take um, an impermeable surface and turn it into something that's permeable. And we're saying, could we go the extra mile? That decreases the impact of this stormwater runoff um, somewhat. And then what if you also then put a rain garden in that space? That would further improve the environment and lessen um, the impact. Could there be further incentivization for that? And so we've had a lot of people come through their garden just to see the model that it is. And it's not a huge space, but it has huge impact in the area. So just looking at what that could look like for other communities or even beyond in our own community. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Ariane, I have a couple uh, of questions for you now when it when it comes to this community engagement element. I know that an important part of Macedon's model is training people to work in jobs related to green infrastructure, which feels particularly important, especially if we want this infrastructure to be deployed more regularly. It People need to know how to do it and then also to maintain it. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about Mastodon's internship and apprenticeship programs and how they seek to especially work with um, with like BIPOC communities, like you said, and, and other communities that could really benefit from the, these, these skills. Yes, of course. So Mastodon prides ourselves in our education component uh, of the business. Um, I mean, especially because stormwater management is an emerging field in green infrastructure. Education is a huge component, not only with my clients, but also with other contractors. And, um, you know, even when working with other, like with landscape architects and engineers, it's just, it's not well known. So there's, there's just things that have to be explained and have to be taught. Um, we're often asked to participate in workshops and presentations teaching the practices. Um, we work closely with Louisiana Green Corps, which is a nonprofit that um, promotes job readiness and employability. Um, we offer Green Corps students the opportunity to gain hands-on training. And then we also, um, after their internship and apprenticeship is over, we offer them the opportunity to work with us. We actually have a Green Corps that's been with us now for about a year. There's a lot of um, 
you know, we can get a lot of setbacks with them. Sometimes it's hard keeping them on. There's the general um, employability measures, I think, that come with any job training program, especially with young people with adolescents. But um, we do our best to try to keep them on and, and train them up and get them ready for workforce. Um, we offer uh, volunteer days as well at parks and public spaces. Uh, especially if, like just the other day for MLK Day, we had some volunteers where we cleaned up at the park. We uh, plant native plants. We um, we sand down the benches and stain them, and you know, just get the community out there, get them learning about the the native flora and fauna. Um, we feel that through imparting the knowledge of green infrastructure and stormwater management and how to maintain you know, teaching them the applications of green infrastructure over time, it'll better equip everyone for maintaining these systems. Because it's not just about the workforce, it's also about having the, the public knowledge as well. So. Absolutely. And if I can ask a follow-up, you know, to get back to one of the points that I made in, in the introduction for this panel, um, from your perspective, what opportunities exist for women in green infrastructure or even broader green sector jobs? Oh, I mean, it's so vast. It's such a it's such a broad field. Um, There's so many levels to it. For example, my partner is a horticulturalist. I'm Pervious Concrete certified. We're both practitioners. But you can take it to all the way up to the level of being a landscape architect or engineer. You can be on the install side in the field building these systems. You can be a plant person or you could be designing these systems. Um, it really varies and it depends on what side. Or you could be the community gardener. I, I'm a member of my community gardener uh, here in New Orleans too, so I feel you, sister. <laughs> Um, you know, it really depends on what level of green infrastructure you want to be involved in. It can it can range. So it's especially as a woman in this field, there's there's room for us. Well, I think that's a great place to begin wrapping up because I like the aspirational message there uh, where, where we left that conversation. Um, so I'm hoping that once again, I can ask each of you to respond to sort of one overarching closing question um, as we wrap up today's conversation. Think of this as your parting thoughts. Um, and as we did with the other panels today, the question is going to be advice-based. So uh, what is one tip that you would share with domestic or international audiences seeking to increase implementation of green infrastructure in their own communities. Um, Amy, I'll, I'll have you start and then we'll end with Ariane. Sure, I will. Um, there's a couple ways I could take this, but I think one thing that was mentioned earlier by Linda, just the, the call to really work with communities to provide and make space for them to participate in green green infrastructure initiatives and just like environmental impact because um, as we know, like it does impact everyone and not necessarily equally. So are we creating space where the community can come and rally around creating healthy, thriving communities? And the other thing I would mention, um, coming from like just a different perspective is this idea of not viewing green infrastructure or environmental advocacy as something 
siloed and separate that someone else should take care of. I think that we all have a role to play. Um, if we all thought, oh, that's not in our lane, then would anything ever get done? So I really believe that as a community, we all have a role to play. And there are so many opportunities to just integrate that into so many things across the community. So I think we all have a role to play. And it's important that we do see it as our role and our community's role. Thanks, Amy. And Arian, your final thoughts. Yeah, I'm definitely going to ride the wave of community um, as well. And um, I think I want to say everybody wants to save money and create value. And, and I think that there's the stacking functions of green infrastructure and stormwater management. So I think the best tip would be to communicate with the community and create a system of programming that would subsidize and incentivize you know, contractors and project owners to on on every level, on residential, industrial, municipal, state, and federal levels to implement these sort of systems so that we could create this value for people and um, essentially promote green infrastructure and add that, that great ecological benefit for communities all over the nation. This podcast is derived from audio recordings of SGOE's Innovation Station virtual event series. The views expressed in the preceding episode are those of the featured innovators and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues, the U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government. For more information on the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues, its initiatives, and programs, please visit the State Department website at www.state.gov.